Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, we are in our second message in our Philippians series. So I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go with me there. Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is an apostle's thank you note, an apostle's love letter written to one of his, he doesn't say it in here, but you can pick up the tone that this is one of his favorite churches. He loves the Philippian believers. And if you read through Philippians, and I would encourage you, you know, to just put it on play uh, through a Bible app or something, or read through it throughout our study and become more and more familiar with Paul's letter to these loved ones. And you might think, well, where's he writing this from? He's writing this maybe from a really good situation. Maybe he's on a, you know, a time away on a holiday and he's sitting by the ocean and it's just lapping on the shore and he thinks about the Philippians and he writes to them, all of this joyous, you know, I could be filled with joy there. He's writing from prison and he's filled with joy. He loves these believers The church in Philippi, as we saw last Sunday, was established. The apostle established this church and a missionary team. He wasn't alone. They equipped the church. They encouraged the church. And the point is for this church to be expanded, for this church to have a view to the world beyond their doors. Philippians chapter 1, just these two verses again, we're going to spend a few weeks in this introduction because there's, there's uh, gold in these here hills, okay? So we're going to mine it out. And, and he writes, Paul, so his signature right there at the beginning, Paul and Timothy, servants or slaves, the word there is doulos in Greek, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. As we saw last Sunday and just briefly this morning, just as we're into introduction here, the author is Paul and Timothy, and he includes Timothy. We're servants. We're slaves of Christ Jesus. He's writing to these recipients, the saints who are in Christ Jesus, and they're located in a place, a town known as Philippi. And he includes, and he, and he sets apart these leadership uh, groups in the church, overseers and deacons, and we're going to talk about those in the coming weeks. The church is made up of all who have been converted to Christ, all who have come to faith in Christ and followed him in baptism. And I'm excited to prepare that in just a couple of weeks we'll be baptizing Two individuals. If you have come to faith in Christ and you have not yet made that faith public, then see me. See one of the elders. Stop by the Welcome Center afterwards. Let us help you prepare that the first Sunday of November you can follow Christ in baptism. And then he gives the greeting in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so filled with joy about this church. So he writes to them. He wants to follow up with them. 
Now, today, the title of the message is Saints. And that's what we want to really unpack is that word, saints. Who exactly is he writing to? Let's define this term. Because the, this verse, okay, we're, we're here in verse 1 of Philippians. That verse sits within a chapter. It sits actually within a book, the book of Philippians. And it sits within the New Testament. And it sits within the 66 books of Old Testament, New Testament. So there's, so there's context to this word that we really need to understand. A saint is one who's separated from the world and consecrated to God. They are called out and called to. Not just called out and left in oblivion somewhere, but called out of the world and consecrated to God, one holy by profession and by covenant, a believer in Christ. This is a saint. So let's talk about for a few moments some common misunderstandings about sainthood. All right, maybe uh, you'll hear some of the comments that you make or you've heard people make from time to time. Who, who exactly is a saint? Let, let's unpack this. Let's understand, well, who is Paul not talking about? And then we'll look at who exactly is he writing to and speaking of. Well, some, one misunderstanding that is very common about a saint is a perfect person. Well, I'm no saint, right? Have you heard somebody say that? Well, I'm no saint, I'm no perfect person. The Wikipedia definition, helpful spot to go to there. In religious belief, a saint is a person who is recognized as having, listen for it now, an exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God. However, Wikipedia helps us out here, the use of the term saint depends on the context and denomination. All right, so there's some wiggle room there. Um, have you ever heard someone say that? Maybe you've said that, you know, when you do something wrong or you mess up. Well, I'm not a saint. Well, uh, I'm still a sinner. Okay, we're going to talk about these terms. Another common misunderstanding is a patient person, a perfect person, a patient person. Oh, they're such a saint. They have the patience of Job. Yeah, so patient. They're such a saint. All right, so let's go for an Oxford definition here. A person acknowledged as holy or virtuous and typically being regarded as being in heaven after death. Okay, let, let that one sink in. They're in heaven. And then their explanation of that, they'll give you a sentence to describe the, the word in a sentence inside of quotation marks here, a place dedicated to a 7th century saint. They're a saint. Uh, their second definition here, Oxford, a very virtuous, kind, or patient person. You know, if you met her husband, she is a saint to put up with that loser. That guy, whew, I couldn't stay with that guy. She must be a saint. <laughs> we'll talk later about that one, right? <laughs> there were no women that said amen, only one, only one man. 
A lot of elbows may be happening, the silent amens, the omis, as I heard growing up, all right? All right, there's another definition that is helpful, a common misunderstanding, and this probably informed many of your backgrounds growing up or people that you work with or people in your family, and that is, who is a saint? A common misunderstanding is this, a persecuted and powerful person. Okay, so when we think about persecuted, we're thinking of someone who was martyred, so they suffered, and they were put to death for the cause of Christ, and powerful. There's a miracle believed to have happened in relation, in connection to this person. They must be a saint. This is the, the Roman Catholic view. It's prevalent throughout the world. So a persecuted person and a powerful person, or a martyred person and a miraculous person. I have an explanation here from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, their website, addressing the topic of saints. Monsignor Robert Sarno, in his introduction to saints, this is what he says. He says, all Christians are called to be saints. Saints are persons in heaven, officially canonized or not, who lived heroically virtuous lives, offered their life for others, or were martyred for the faith, and who are worthy of imitation. He continues on, he says, an official, and here he explains the process, and if, if you went to a, a Catholic school, you probably learned these things, okay? So this is, this is helpful. He says this, in official church procedures, there are three steps to sainthood, okay? So all Christians are like, whoa, I want to pay attention to this. What are the three steps to becoming a saint? A candidate becomes venerable, then blessed, and then saint. Venerable is a title given to a deceased person recognized formally by the Pope as having lived a heroically virtuous life or offered their life to be beatified and recognized as a blessed. One miracle acquired through the candidate's intercession is required in addition to recognition of heroic virtue or offering of life. Canonization requires a second miracle after beatification. The Pope may waive these requirements. A miracle is not required prior to, sounds, sounds a little bit like attorney speech right here, okay? We're a little bit lost in the weeds. I'm going to help us out in a second. I found something more on my level here. A miracle is not required prior to a martyr's beatification, but one is required before they are canonized. So there's got to be a miracle attached to this person uh, many of you will maybe remember when Pope John Paul was brought in to, to be a saint and they were, they were marking the different stages in, in miracles. Okay, so now from the Catholic Kids 101, here's a song. Here's a kid's song. This helps us put it down to where I can, I can wrestle with this. I can get this. All right, so here's the verse one. Like an athlete training for the victory, to win the crown for all eternity, the saints before us found the key with Christ's three words, come follow me. Here's the chorus. My only desire to be a saint. I'll only aspire to be a saint. Never too tired to be a saint. Just reach one step higher. Be a saint. Maybe you're familiar with the, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, what's that next line? 
It's this. Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in, What's missing from all of these explanations is any confidence given to a person that they are regarded as holy. No, 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 no. Aspire to be a saint. Strive to be a saint. Look to those who have lived saintly lives before us and follow them. They've set the way, follow them. The focus is on not Christ, but those who, in the name of Christ, lived exceptional lives, virtuous lives, maybe were martyred. But the pivotal question, loved ones, is this. When we think about sainthood, is being a saint, is becoming a saint, a status, a standing that is something that is earned, merited, or is it something that is graciously given? That's the question for us. Is it something that I need to come to church and have put out before me, you know, that I need to try harder, I need to take one step higher, I need to draw closer to the Lord, I long to be, I want to be a saint. Well, the question for us is this. What does the Bible say? Right? That, it doesn't matter what I say. Well, in our church teaching of the grace community, if it doesn't say that in the Bible, who cares? It doesn't matter. If it's not scripturally true, so that's what we want to do. Let's look at some clear biblical teaching about sainthood, and let's find out and let's unpack it together. Well, what does the Bible say? What is, what is clear biblical teaching? about these people known as saints, all right? It's Old Testament and New Testament. It's not just in the New Testament. In the Hebrew, the word is chassid. It's probably, you know, chassid. Chassid. Uh, we talk a lot. I love the word chassid, okay? Steadfast love, unmerited favor. This is a close word to that, chassid. And it's translated godly, good, holy, merciful, saint. Listen to some of the usage in the Old Testament. Just I'm not reading all of them, but I want to hear from the Old Testament. Let us let Scripture kind of wash over us a little bit. Second Chronicles 6:41. This is in Solomon's prayer, dedicating the temple. And he says, And now arise, O Lord God. And go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. And let your saints rejoice in your goodness. Okay, so this is in Israel. There were priests. You had to be a certain tribe, an Israelite, certain tribe to serve as a priest. And then there were the saints. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. Psalm 16, verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. So a worship leader is saying, the people he's looking at, O you his saints, give thanks to his holy name. 
Psalm 31, 23, love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Psalm 34, 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Psalm 37, 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, not just in this lifetime, but forever in this lifetime and in the life to come. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Psalm 97, 10. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Is that something you have to tell someone in heaven? Mm -mm. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Are there any wicked in heaven that we need to be delivered from? Psalm 116, 15. I've used this verse, I can't even tell you how many times. When we go to funerals of loved ones who are brothers and sisters in Christ, the hearts are broken, and all the plans and all the, is it gone? Lord, where are you? Right there. How does the Lord view our suffering in this way? Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's a timeline there. Psalm 132, 9. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. Psalm 132, 16. Okay, so early in that last verse, let, it's an invitation, let your priests be clothed, let your saints shout for joy. Psalm 132, same chapter 16, here's the promise. Her priest, the Lord says, I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There's a psalm where the answer comes within the psalm. Not all of them do that. It's not always resolution. Psalm 145, 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Psalm 148, 14. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. See the explanation there? Who's he talking about? For the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. So in, in Israel, we're not Israelites. We're not in the theocracy where God dwells right outside. There he is. No, we're in the New Testament. But these are the people. Here are the priests. Here are the people. But God is good to all of his people. They were the ones set apart to be holy to the Lord. So it's Proverbs 2, verse 8. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. That's Old Testament. Now, I just pulled one verse out of Daniel. There are several and several passages in Daniel because of the, the vision and the prophecy that was given to Daniel of the time to come that relates to the saints of the ages. Daniel 7 verse 18, but the saints of the Most High this is where it's all going, loved ones. Shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. 
This is, this is where it's not just the priests, it's not the, the professionals, the other. This is Old Testament, and Daniel was, receives this prophetic word of the time that is yet to come. And he says, this kingdom is going to be given, it's going to be shared, this inheritance is going to be shared with all the saints, the people of God. Now let's go to the New Testament. New Testament, the Greek word is hagios. Okay, so... In this word, it's translated holy in the New Testament 161 times, saints 61 times, holy one four times, translated uh, most holy thing, a saint, properly reverend, worthy of veneration, set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively his. Okay, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, and now you are my people. I had a professor in college, one of the classes in seminary, actually, and he would send out the weekly updates to all the students in the class, and he would write his an introduction to his email, Dear Holy Ones. And the first time I saw that, I had never had anybody write any communication to me in my lifetime. Dear Holy One, what? Like, when I think about my thoughts and struggles, and I'm like, I don't know, but then I had to reconcile. Like, is it right for him to write to me and call me? Oh, wait a second. I know this word. It's the same thing as saying, dear saints of God, dear saints in Christ Jesus, you've been set apart. You've been made holy. Very different than you need to make yourself holy. You need to try to be holy. You have been made holy. You are being, a very similar word, sanctified. You are being made holy, and one day you will be glorified if you are in Christ. He will finish the work that he has begun in you, and you will be glorified. The work will be completed. Amen. Hallelujah. I can't wait for that day, this unfinished business. Yeah, we're going to clap. Do it right, all right? We long for that day. Yeah, we observe communion together knowing that that day is only possible because our king shed his blood, which is significant for him giving his life so that we could be forgiven. So let's look at the New Testament. And I didn't use all of these, okay? But I just want you to hear from the New Testament. And this is how we are to take every topic, every subject, every disagreement and say, what does the Bible say? And then look at all teaching, all beliefs through the lens of Scripture, Acts chapter 9, verse 13, we read this one last week when uh, Saul of Tarsus was, you know, still blind and wondering, what, where is my life going now? Acts 9, 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, go, go see this guy? I've heard from many about this man, Lord. Saul of Tarsus, I have heard about this guy. How much evil he has done to your, what's the word? And where are those saints? At Jerusalem. I've heard about what he's done. He has put to death your saints in Jerusalem. Acts 9.32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, Luke being very descriptive there, he came down also to the saints. And where did those saints live? Lydda. They were alive. They had an address. And Peter went, and he went and visited him, Acts 9, 41. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. 
Acts 26, verse 10, Paul, he says, and I did so in Jerusalem. He's given his testimony. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Do you catch the timeline there? They were saints. They were alive until Saul of Tarsus showed up and he put them to death. When I cast my vote against them, they died. Romans 1.7, Paul writes, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, wait a second. Doesn't that sound a little bit what we read that from Monsignor, from that writing, that we're called to be saints? Wait a second now. Is Paul saying you've been called to strive to be something? Is that what he's saying? Now here, whenever we have a, a verse like this, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture, interpret the Bible with the Bible. You don't build a doctrine out of right there it is, and that matches our teaching. So here we go. We're called, loved to be saints. What is our identity? Romans eight twenty seven. Paul still writing, same guy. And he who searches the uh, hearts and knows what the mind is of the Spirit, Stephen just took us through this passage because the Spirit intercedes. Who does the Spirit intercede for? The saints. According to whose will? The will of God. Romans 12, 13, same author, Paul. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality to the saints. Who are the saints? They're the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And Paul was saying, Let's share with them. Let's help them. Romans 15, 25. At present, however, he's telling them his plans. I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Well, where do those saints live? Jerusalem. They're in trouble. They're in need. So Paul is writing to all the other saints saying, hey, your brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, saints, they need your help. So open up your, your purses and your money bags and give. We're going to take it to them. Romans 15, verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service, he's asking for prayer, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable. Isn't this interesting? That he doesn't say to the Lord. Super spiritual. To the Lord. Pray that I will be acceptable to the Lord as I go. He says, I'm the apostle Paul. And I want you to pray that I'll be protected and that my ministry in this offering will actually be pleasing, acceptable to the saints. He cares about the poor nobodies in Jerusalem, the saints. Yeah, he sure does. And anyone alive in that day would say, what happened to this guy? because he used to kill them, and now he wants to come in and be pleasing to them for the glory of God. Something radically happened in this guy's life. Romans 16, 2, he says that you may welcome her, he's talking about Phoebe, a servant, in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron, a helper of many, and of myself as well. This is an all-star. And he's saying, take care of this lady. Help her out. Phoebe. 
Romans 16, 15. Here's a case we need any baby names. Here you go. I got you one right here. Another bun in the oven down here on the front row. Here you go. Philologus. There you go. Something like that, all right? <laughs> Bless you. Yes, greet Philologus. Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus. And while you're at it, greet all the saints who are with them. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes. Now, let's remember something, okay? So we've seen the practical definitions. These are people to admire. These are people that, you, you know, perfect, patient, persecuted. You know, they're powerful. And then Paul writes to Corinthians. Do you remember our study through Corinthians? That church had quite a few things messed up. Well, how does Paul write to them? When one, uh, let's see, uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified, there's that root of that word, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place who is a saint. They've called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He's reminding them of their identity, who they belong to now because they have forgotten that and they're living in rebellious ways in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 6, 1. When one of you, here's one of the problems they had, they were suing each other. They just couldn't forgive any. They were just blasting each other. He says, or do you not know, uh, uh, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints, the church? Why would you not work that out instead of airing out your cause in the public forum? Our day, Facebook. Okay, work that out. Or taking someone to court because they, they wronged me. And he's saying, hey, do you not know this? Verse, uh, next verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, did you hear that? The saints will judge the world. And he writes to the Corinthians, you in Christ will judge the world. Are you incompetent to try trivial cases? They parked in my parking spot. And everybody knows that's my parking spot at the church. They sat in my seat on my row. Whatever. I mean, fill in the blank. Any grievance. He says, you're going to judge the world and you're, doing, you're, you're, you're preoccupied with what? I mean, I wish we could identify with the Corinthians somehow and relate to being caught up in petty little, you know, did you look at me that way? Did you say that? Did you, all these little things. And, you, and Paul is saying, do you, you realize you're going to judge the world? Maybe let some things go. How about it? Maybe forgive. And if you've been forgiven, you're called to it. And then he writes a little later, in that, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. And here he's dealing with the abuse of tongues, of languages in the church and all the chaos and everybody's got a word and everybody's talking and it's just all mayhem in the church. And he says, here's the way it should always be. There should be an orderliness. There should be a, a peacefulness about the gathering. And this isn't just for you, Corinthians. Hey, every other church, pay attention. As in all the churches of the saints. A little bit later, he's saying, uh, oh, by the way, you uh, very wealthy Corinthians now concerning 
1 Corinthians 16.1, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. They're alive, they're in Jerusalem, you're rich, get your, get your money ready, and we're gonna send it to them and we're gonna help them. 2 Corinthians, he writes another letter, Paul, an apostle of, of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Are we catching that this isn't a hidden thing in Scripture? Ephesians 1, he writes, and it's all through Ephesians. I, I'm, I'm not going to take the whole. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, uh, Ephesians 3.8, to me, though I am, now look, look at this, though I am the very least of all the, this is Paul, I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a guy. Like I said last week, it's not hard to learn to love this guy. Ephesians 4.12, what has the Lord given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for? The afterlife? No. No, he says it right there. Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. How do I equip somebody who's in the afterlife? I think the Lord has that locked up. I don't think he's needing me. Like, Brian, help, heaven. We got saints, you know. I need your wisdom on this. Your name is wise. No, he knows better. So does my family. Plenty of dumb stuff, okay? So the Lord has that. But here, we need to be equipped for the work of the ministry, so he writes, Ephesians 5, 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. There's a high calling. That lifestyle that you used to live, sexual immorality, what is sexual immorality? All sexual relationships outside of God's defined marriage. What is marriage biblically? One man, one woman, for life. So the church, that's our standard because we're called to be holy. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints that you really like, the saints in your friend group. <laughs> All the saints, all the saints, even the ones that annoy you, all the saints. Philippians 1.1, here's our study to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Philippians 4.21, we'll come to this. Probably won't be in a couple weeks. Chapter 4, verse 21, just seeing if you're awake. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Philippians 4.22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The saints are living. They live in Caesar's household, so this wasn't even just a Jewish thing. They're in Christ Jesus. He writes to the Colossians, Colossians 1.2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. To the Thessalonians, Chapter 3, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord of our Lord Jesus, who is coming with him. All his saints. 
This is a future day when all Old Testament, New Testament saints that aren't even saints yet because they haven't yet come to faith in Christ and we will be coming with him. All the saints in heaven, 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. To Timothy, he writes, 1 Timothy 5.10, and having a reputation for good works, if she, now here he's speaking of uh, who would come into the church and be cared for by the church. And, he, and so he's speaking of a widow, probably over the age of 60, uh, has brought up children. This is the qualification, has shown hospitality. And what has this woman done? She has washed the feet of the saints. Ah, who did that? Jesus. Cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work. Philemon, Paul writes to this man, he's going to urge him to forgive that runaway slave. Because I hear of your love and the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus, it's a vertical love. Oh, and Philemon, I know you have a love that is horizontal for all the saints. Hey, guess who's the newest saint on the bus? Your runaway slave. Onesimus, and I'm sending him back to you. Receive him as a brother. You hear what Paul is doing? He's just teaching me. He's inspired by the Spirit of God. Hebrews 13, 24. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What good is it if the faith is delivered in the afterlife? That's too late. Notice that it's not two classes here in the church. Once for all delivered to the apostles the really great saints. Nope. Delivered to the saints, the church. And just one out of Revelation, chapter 5 and verse 8. John, this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus, he has much to say about the saints. Revelation 5, 8, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Does it matter if we are a praying people or not? In all of these scriptures, loved ones, there's not one mention of prayers offered to saints, but only prayers offered by saints, of saints, and for saints. So then, what is the high calling for every saint? That's what we want to unpack. Just one word. Like, man, we have a lot of writing to do. Not really. Not really. Paul's writing to the saints. Saints live through faith in Christ. The recipients of Paul's letter 
They were saints. They were holy ones. Peter in his letter, but as you are called, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Those who are in Christ Jesus are given life. And, and understand that eternal life doesn't begin when you die. When you come to faith in Christ, life that never ends begins at that very moment of your conversion. Your salvation, you are secure. When you turn, any sinner turns from their sin and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are adopted, they are forgiven, they are redeemed. They're brought into the family of God. So the Christians that are living there in Philippi, who are these Christians? We looked at it last week in Acts 16. Well, we got Lydia in her household and she is a saint. She's been made holy and everybody in her house that repented and trusted in Jesus. And the slave girl and the Philippian jailer and his household, they turned from their sin and they trusted in the Lord Jesus. And immediately that guy was changed. That rough, tough jailer is saying, here you go, Paul. Oh, I'm sorry, that hurts. Hey, bring me a little cleaner, cleaner water. Yeah, this is bad. And he's washing his back. And everybody has to say, what happened to that big guy? Oh, he met Jesus. He's been made holy. He's been made righteous. He's a saint in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that is the dividing line of all humanity? Those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are not in Christ Jesus. It is ultimately the only question that matters for your life and for the life of all people living. Are you in Christ or are you not yet in Christ? Because if you're not in Christ, then you've not yet been made holy. And there's no spiritual action and work that you can do to make yourself holy before God. Isaiah deals with that. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The best I can do just ruins it because it's coming from a defiled heart without Christ. But when Christ takes over, he takes out my dead heart, puts in a living heart. It's being born again. He takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. He changes everything from the inside out. So saints are people who have been set apart by God for his glory and the good of all peoples. Saved. They follow in obedience through baptism they live for the glory of God. Can I ask you the question this morning? Does that describe you? Are you in Christ this morning? I remember being on someone's porch once and there was a man of the church with me and we were visiting one of the deacons and the man's wife was a believer, he was not. He came out and he was talking to us. He was kind of amped up and he wasn't very delighted that we were there with the message. And he said, what, what is this in Christ Jesus? What does this mean, in Christ Jesus? It's like, that's the defining line. There's nothing good about me except Christ, that I'm in Christ. That's what, when, when the Father looks on me, he sees me in the righteousness of Christ. That's how judgment's not coming my way, is because it all fell on Jesus, and I'm under his authority and name and protection. I'm in him. 
And so only time I have to be concerned is when the father turns and rejects Jesus. Then I'm in trouble and he's not going to do that. I'm secure in Christ. We're sanctified. Christians are made holy by the work of Christ on their behalf. Go with me in your Bibles. It's not going to come on the screen. Just Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Just back to the left, a few pages probably. Maybe a few clicks on your device, okay? Ephesians 2. How is this made possible? How can we be made right with God? Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're in Christ. That we're his masterpiece. Go back just a little more to Romans, to the left, Romans chapter 10. How does this grace interact? How do I receive this grace? What is this specific gospel message that changes a person's identity from, listen to me now, sinner to saint? When does that happen? When I die? I was a sinner. I died. Now I'm a saint. Well, Romans chapter 10. Verse 9, Paul writes, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What what is he saying here? What I believe in my heart is going to make its way out of my mouth. So if my speech, if my conversations with non-believers never speaks of Jesus, I need to do serious heart evaluation. Do I belong to Jesus? If his name is not sweetly on my lips and in conversation after conversation... What's wrong? I need to figure that out. I need to go to the Lord and figure out this, what, is, what I say has happened in my heart in, internally, if it never comes out externally, if I'm ashamed of him. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be, your Bible might say, disappointed, put to shame, let down. For there is no distinction, Paul writes, between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches to all, on all who. How how can I receive this gift? Right there it is. To all who call on him. Do I have to have a certain, I've got to learn, you know, I don't know enough about the Bible yet. And as 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 soon as I learn more about the Bible, then I'll, no, you'll never know enough. Call on him. And Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I ask you that question? Have you ever admitted your sin to God 
and cried out to him for mercy. That's when we stop excusing. Oh, I was, they were worse than me. I didn't, wasn't as bad as them. I tried really hard. Mercy means I, I'm guilty. I, I need mercy. How have you responded to this message? I'm going to ask you again. Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? Because that's when the identity changes from sinner to saint. So back to Philippians. Every person that truly belongs to Christ, loved ones, they will live, they will persevere, they will be preserved, and we'll come to that doctrine in Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite scriptures. He began the work in you, he will finish it. He will bring it to completion. So saints then live through faith in Christ, but then it's going somewhere else because Paul's writing to, he's writing to these saints who are in Philippi, We live together in community. All who are in Christ Jesus, we're saints. And so we belong to the universal church, but we are to belong to a local, visible New Testament church. This is where we live life together. This is where we grow in grace together. We've got a new identity. We're given a new family. We're not to just attend perpetually. We're to belong. We're to be known, and that's humbling. But we're to be authentic. We're to grow together in grace. And that's very different than, hey, how was your week? It was good, fine, great. All right, see you next week. That's not growing together in grace. Hey, I'm really struggling. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and we'll, we'll go through this together. And let's, let's fix our eyes on Jesus together. There's a local church family. The church in Philippi, it was real. It was organized. It was visible. It was recognized. The church members, they knew there was a Philippian church. The people in Philippi, they knew there was a church. Uh, the magistrate for sure knew there was a church in Philippi. And they're wondering, when's Paul coming back? And he's coming back with any attorneys? They worship together, they walk together, and they worked together, loved ones, under the oversight of the overseers, enjoying the blessings of the ministry carried out by the deacons in the church there at Philippi. But that wasn't, it didn't end there with them. You're also part of, when you come to faith in Christ, every saint is part of the universal church. That when we come to faith in Christ, we're united to believers around the world. And not just that. All the believers who are in heaven. The saints around the throne. We're part of the same family. A local church, a universal church. Now, understand this. The word for universal church is actually the word Catholic but it's a lowercase c. It's a term. Baptism describes going in the water. Submerged, brought out. The word Catholic, it just, seems, it just means universal, but in subsequent centuries, after the completion of Scripture, it became a capital C, referring to a Roman church with a pope, and everyone believed to be, you need to be part of that hierarchy. Let her see, saints live 
engaged in the master's great commission. So just think about this. Think, think what we're looking at here. We're alive. We're given life. We're given life that never ends, and it's through faith in Christ. We live together in community. We're part of a local gathering. We're part of a universal. When I got off the plane in Africa, I was with brothers in Christ. We're not part of the same local church, but we're, we're part of the same universal church. There were brothers there from different backgrounds, some different beliefs, different denominations, but we're brothers in Christ. So we don't agree on everything, but we agree on one thing, Jesus. He's our only hope. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. And so we live engaged in the master's great commission. Go make disciples, you make disciples, you make disciples. So Paul's writing to the believers in Philippi. Their church was established, but what about other places where there's no church? And what about those in need? And Paul is through this letter saying, thank you for being a blessing to me when I'm not with you there. Well, we'll be a blessing to you as long as you're blessing us right here. If you leave us, well... Not sending anybody to you, they're not helping you. You left us. No, they love him, and he's giving them a biblical view to the world and to the mission field. Loved ones, by way of application, we desire everyone to belong to Christ, first of all, to belong to a local body of believers. And this is part of a great commission planting biblical churches, gospel centered churches everywhere where there's not one so that people who live there will hear of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us to be active in this. Just look at that description that's on the screen and I'm gonna ask you again, does this description from Paul to the Philippians describe you? Does this define your life or does something else define your life? Your job, your family, your own beliefs, your thoughts, your interest, entertainment, what? Does this define your life that saints live? Are you alive in Christ? Are you part of a local body of believers living in that community, growing in that community? Are you actively engaged in this gospel, this commission going global, worldwide, so that more and more will be invited and we will gather around the throne one day and we will have one song worthy as the lamb who was slain, slain for sinners who are made in Christ, saints. So is it proper for a person that's a Christian to say, well, I'm not a saint, I'm still just a sinner? No. You have a new identity. Your name has changed. If you're in Christ, you were a sinner. That was your identity. Now you are a saint, and guess what? You still struggle and wrestle with sin. It doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. Well, I'm not a saint. Wait, wait, wait. Correction, biblically, if you are a saint, then you will fight against sin. You will hate your sin because being in the holiness of God and drawing near to his holiness, it gives us a more and more distaste of our own sinfulness. That's the work of the Spirit through salvation in Christ to the glory of God. Amen? Let's stand together.
Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are separate from sin and you are separate from sinners, but you made a way for us by sending your one and only son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who lived the holy, perfect, pure life that we cannot live, no matter how hard we try. And you, Lord Jesus, you died the death that I deserve to die. You laid down your life for sinners, all who would turn from their sin and trust in you. You were buried and you rose the third day and you defeated death, hell, and the grave. And Satan is on a short leash and his days are numbered. And we will come one day, not fighting, but with you and your word like a sword coming out of your mouth, O Lord. You will reign victorious and the whole world, every eye will see. This is who Jesus is. And we, through the eyes of faith, see that today. And I pray that anyone who has never turned from their sin, they've never seen themselves the way you see them as sinner, and they've never seen Jesus the way you see him, and that is, he is, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Worship him that today would be the day that the scales would fall off the sinner's eyes and they would receive your gift of salvation and they would come to faith in Christ and be given life that never ends. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for the gospel. For you are good and we worship you. In Jesus' glorious name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.